Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is proper worship. Now, here's Bill Almack. I'm going to be out of a job if I'm not careful. That's a good thing. Have you ever been to a church service and you felt uncomfortable? Not because the pews were uncomfortable or lumpy, or not because the chairs were uncomfortable, not because it was too hot or it was too cold, but you just, it was different. And it, it didn't seem the same, right? Maybe you were at a church service that was way more expressive than you're used to. Or maybe you were at a church service that was way less expressive than you were used to. I know the first time that I went to a full mass Catholic wedding, I was lost. I had no idea what we were doing and why we were doing it. A guy's talking to me in Latin. I, I didn't know what was going on. The second Catholic full mass I went to was much better because the priest realized a whole bunch of us there were not Catholic. So he explained what was going on. It made a lot more sense. I could follow along. I understood then what was happening. And maybe you've had a similar experience. I know the first time that I went to an African-American church in the South, that's a really different experience. See, we go to church. They do church. A few of you understand that. It it was just different. And so that begs the question of what is proper worship? There's so many variations, so many varieties, so many people do it so differently. What is proper? It's a tough question. I know some years ago, this is a long time ago, we tried doing communion. We, we normally do our communion service pretty much the same. We tried to do something different. And it was a little rocky. <laughs> But, you know, everybody got bread and juice, so it it was good, right? Afterwards, a prominent member of the church came up to me and chewed me out. said, we didn't do communion. And I was young and stupid. Now I'm just stupid, not young anymore. (laughs) Then I can blame it on being young. And, and, you know, I'm an engineer. And so when an engineer hears something wrong, what do you want to do? Fix it. So I started asking questions because I have to ask questions to know what's wrong so I can fix it. And I didn't mean to be a smart aleck, but I'm sure this person thought I was being a smart aleck. So they said, we didn't do communion right. I said, well, didn't everybody get bread and juice? Right? What's, what's the problem? Did we miss somebody? Yeah, everybody got bread and juice. Well, do we celebrate communion the same way Jesus celebrates communion? No, we don't. So wouldn't it be okay if we did it differently? And the answer was a firm no. See, 
that person was very much interested in worshiping the service and the tradition and not what it meant. Right? And sometimes we get like that. We're more concerned about the tradition and how we do it. And we forget about why we are doing it. And I'm not going to talk today about traditions and styles and all that stuff. Because there's just way too many and I couldn't cover them all. And I don't even know them all. But I think that most of them are probably acceptable to the Lord. There's probably a few we need to be careful of. But probably most of them are far and away acceptable to the Lord. So this, the, the message this morning kind of has two parts. Because I want to talk about the worship part of worship, the songs, and then the rest. I probably should have made this series longer because I'm not getting everything done. I want to get done in this series. So today we're going to try and squeeze two things into one. All right? So what can we learn about the singing part of worship? Do you guys know who Tim Hawkins is? Christian comedian. You see him on YouTube quite a bit. He does a lot of stuff about life in church. He's got a hilarious bit about raising hands in church and how you start slow with carry the TV and then you go to a widescreen TV and take my baby. If you like humor, it's, it's very funny. So uh, I, I encourage you to watch that. But, you know, sometimes we, we, we don't know how to, to worship. We don't know what to do with ourselves. If you were born and raised in the Adventist church, chances are you're a pretty conservative worshiper, pretty restrained, okay? If you're white, it's worse, Okay? I grew up, I mean, literally and figuratively, the Amish lived next door. It doesn't get any more conservative than that, right? So very conservative, very restrained in our worship styles. And it's not a sin, it's nothing wrong with that. But it might be okay to do something else. It might be okay to do something else. And you know, the Bible talks a lot about raising hands. We're going to hit four texts this morning because we don't have time to do them all. We're going to hit these really quick. So I hope you've got out your sermon notes. Um, and we're going to talk about these four things. So there's four reasons that the Bible encourages us to lift our hands. Okay? Number one is we can lift our hands during prayer. We can lift our hands during prayer. It would have been very common in the Old Testament especially. They would have prayed holding their hands up, lifting their hands, talking to God. Okay, um, Some of the songs we do, especially towards the end of the set, may be very prayer-like. It would be perfectly acceptable to hold up your hands during that. Look at what uh, 1 Timothy 2.8 says, Therefore I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So that's one way that we can lift our hands. Number two, we can lift our hands as a sign of desperation. Right? A sign of desperation. If we go to the book of Lamentations, which is not always a happy and fun book, it says, Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to Him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. Now, if you've been a parent, you've got a little one, 
what do they do? They come to you and pick me up. I used to have a cat that would do that. The cat would come and sit there. Like, really? But kids do this, right? Pick me up. I'm scared. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm hurt. Whatever. Pick me up. I'm little. You're big. Fix it. Right? When you cut right to the chase. That's what they're saying. They come in trust to you because you have fixed everything else that was wrong. Right? You changed the diaper. You fed them. You did all the things that they needed done. And so they're like, hey, I need you. And that's what God is saying. Listen, lift up your hands to Him for the lives of your children. Desperation. God, I need you. I'm little, you're big. Exodus 17. Remember Moses? The Amalekites are attacking and the Israelites lose. And they discover that every time Moses holds up his hands, they win. The hands come down, they lose. God, I need you. Number three. We can lift up our hands to express our commitment to God's Word. So we can use our hands to express our commitment to God's Word. Psalms 119 says, I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate them on your decrees. Maybe the next time you're reading the Bible and you get to something, say, God, I'm reaching for that. Physically do it. We know when we involve more of our senses... The truth stands to stick better, right? If you hear it, it doesn't stick. If you hear it and see it, it's a little better. If you hear it and see it and write it, it's a little better. If you hear it and see it and write it and do it, okay, I reach out for your commands that I want to hold on to. And the last one, lift your hands to bless God. Lift your hands to bless God. We've got two texts for this one. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Did you hear that said? Where are you supposed to lift your hands? In church. In church. It's okay. I know all you white people are like, oh man. I have just asked you to do something that is way outside the comfort zone. Right? It's okay. Start small. Right? Maybe we'll work our way up. It's okay. Nehemiah. It says, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And how many people? All the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces on the ground. I think we should do that sometimes too. Problem is the pews get in the way. But that's a perfectly wonderful posture to worship God is with your face on the ground. Of who He is and what He represents. Okay, The Bible doesn't really say why raising our hands blesses God. But I suspect it has to do with that whole kid thing again. 
When you're a parent and your child comes to you and, and lifts up their hands, how do you feel as a parent? Good. I got this, buddy. I can take care of it. Right? We can get the diaper changed or get your food or whatever it is. Right? It blesses you to know that the little one needs you. Okay? I think it's the same thing when we go to God and say, God, I need you. That blesses God. Right? Now, you know that when we do worship here, I don't ever tell you to clap. I don't tell you to raise your hands. Because it's not between me and you. It's between you and God. But what I'm telling you is, God says it's okay for you to raise your hands. In church. Because if we go to the football game and our team scores, what do we do? Yeah! How come we do that there and not here? All right. That's enough about the worship time. No, it isn't. One last thing. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is having a vision. And he... uh, is in heaven and they're in a worship service and Isaiah feels very unworthy which I would think would be a very normal thing to feel in that situation but at the end of that vision or towards the end of that vision God says who are we going to send and Isaiah says Right? I do not picture Isaiah standing in the back. Oh, I guess I can go. Nobody else goes. I'll go. No. Isaiah's like, I'll go. Send me. Right? The Bible doesn't tell us that he raised his hand, but I'm sure he did. Because that's what you do. I'll go. Send me. Ways we can raise our hand to lift God. All right. So the rest of the worship service, what do we do about that? What happens when we, when we pray, when we listen to the sermon, when we do communion, when we do offering, all the other things we do? How is that proper? How do we do proper worship then? Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 4. Verses 19 to 24. This is the story where Jesus goes and meets the Samaritan woman at the well. Probably a very familiar story to a lot of us. And the the Samaritan woman was living a life that some people would look down upon. And that's why she goes to the well in the middle of the day. Because she doesn't want to run into anybody. But she runs into Jesus on this day. And after Jesus tells her some things about her life, um, John chapter 4, verse 9, it picks it up. It says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. 
For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and His worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. There's a lot packed into those couple of verses. A lot of stuff. So, one of the things we see is that worshipers must worship the Father. Okay? Well, that seems like a no-brainer as, as Christians, right? But remember, the Samaritans were half Jews and half other nationalities. And when they had done that, they had also adopted some of the religions from those other nationalities. And so they had a religion that was half Jewish, half something else. This is part of the reason that the Jews looked down upon the Samaritans. They said, you're not doing it right. Of course, Jesus comes along and says, Jews, you're not doing it right either. Okay? Because the Jews were very much full of the ceremony, and we've got to do this, and we do this, we keep all the laws, but they were empty inside. And Jesus is saying here, listen, things are coming and it's going to change. And in fact, the day is now here. Right? It's not about the ceremonies. It's not about the idols that you have and how you've mixed it up. We have to worship the Father. Now there's something about the Father. God is Spirit. Now, in the previous chapter to John 4 and John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he tells him the famous thing, right? If you want to go to heaven, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, I can't do that. How do I crawl back inside my mother's womb? What are you talking about? And Jesus says, you have to be born of the Spirit and a little bit later, he's talking about God is spirit. We worship in spirit and truth. There's a thread that goes through all of Jesus' teaching here that's consistent, right? What is flesh is flesh. What is spirit is spirit. John 3, 6. And God, the Father, is seeking true worshipers. Now, what does that mean to be a True worshiper. Because we could go to all the churches and all the land and ask people, are you a true worshiper? Most of those people are going to say, yeah. Right? Who's going to come to church and say, yeah, I come to church, but you know, it's really not for me. Just, just going through the motions. I don't care too much. Right? Uh, nobody does that. So... How do we become a true worshiper? What does it mean to worship in the Spirit? Now, Jesus uses very strong language here. Must. Right? Not, it would be better. Not, you ought to kind of consider it doing it this way. You must. You must. Okay? So, how do we worship in spirit? 
See, the Jews were all about the external. And we make a show, we have a ceremony, and we do things this way and that way, and it's just right. But inside was empty. And Jesus is saying, I don't care about the ceremonies anymore. I care about where you are inside. Does your spirit lean towards me or away from me? That's hard for us to judge. That's why the Bible tells us don't judge. God looks at the heart. I can't look at your heart. I can't judge. And I don't judge. And that's why I say a lot of worship services are probably just fine. Because it matters where their spirit is. God can tell. God can tell. There are some other principles that God gives us about worship in the Bible. He talks about order. He talks about love. But generally, all churches have those kinds of things. And it's okay. See, the building doesn't matter. The clothes that we wear doesn't matter. You don't get saved because you had your, you know, Saturday go-to-meeting clothes. Which you only wear on Sabbath. It's okay to do that. But that's not what saves you. It's not the fact that you go to prayer meeting on Wednesday night or you join every small group. Those are all wonderful things. But that's not what saves you. And that's not how we worship. We worship because internally our spirit leans towards God. And we are saying, God, I am small. And you are big. And I need you. Some people worship very well in in the worship service. Some people worship by being here early and opening the doors and setting up, taking down. Some people worship by washing the dishes after potluck. All those things are acts of worship doesn't seem like it when you're the last person over there washing dishes and everybody else is left. But those are acts of worship too. Now there's one last thing we should talk about real quick. Two last things we should talk about real quick. Look at what the Lord says uh, to Isaiah. It says, These people come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they have been taught. Clearly that's not what God wants. And clearly that's not the kind of worship we want to have here. I don't think any church wants that. So, you know, when you come, we have to be here to worship. We have to get ready. We talked about being prepared in the first week of this series, that maybe you know we start getting prepared that morning before we arrive, or Friday night, whatever. Because it takes a while to get into this mode of being ready to worship. When we get up and go to work in the morning, right? you get up, put on your clothes, stumble into work. You let work pay for you waking up, right? Get some coffee. You know, I'll be awake around 9 or 10. It'll be okay. Right? Worship doesn't work that way. 
You've got to arrive already with your heart leaning towards God, saying, I'm ready to worship now, not half an hour from now. So you've got to prepare early. Come ready to worship, right? Now, some other thing can impede us sometimes when we worship. We've talked about this text before. It comes out of Matthew chapter 5. And it says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you are worshiping, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. When you have an unrepentant sin, it's difficult to worship. And maybe it'll feel like that worship isn't going anywhere. I was here, I sang the songs, I even lifted my hands, but it just uh, didn't feel anything. Maybe there's something you need to take care of. Okay? The Bible's very clear about clearing those things up before. Because you cannot worship God in spirit if your spirit is holding on to something else. Revelation tells us there's going to be praising and singing in heaven. I don't know what that's going to be like, but I know it's going to be really cool. Angels that can sing multiple notes at once. Instruments we've never even dreamed of before. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be cool. I want to be there. The story is told, we'll end with this, about a young boy around the turn of the century, lived in a very rural area. A circus was coming to town, and he wanted to see the circus. He said, Dad, please, can I go see the circus? Dad says, yes, you can go, but you have to do all your chores before you go. So on the day the circus arrived, that boy was up early. He raced through the chores, went to see Dad. said, Dad, I've done everything. Can I go? Dad says, yes, son, you can go. And he pulled out a dollar and gave it to the boy. Now, a dollar back then was a lot of money. The boy was tickled to death. Goes running into town. And the parade was starting as the circus came into town. And there was the animals in the cages. And there were some of the performers and the strong man and, and all these things that happened. And the clowns brought up the end. And the boy just had the greatest time. When the last clown was come by, he took his dollar, handed it to the clown, and turned around and went home. He thought he had seen the circus, but all he had seen was the parade. And it's been noted that maybe there are some worshipers like that. We come to church and we see the parade of singing and preaching and communion and prayers. But we go home having missed the main event. A personal relationship with God. I don't want to be there, do you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have the opportunity to come here and worship, Lord, that we have the opportunity to come before You and admit that I am small and You are big and I need You. Lord, it's a powerful thing.
to spend some time in Your presence. Help us to be willing to do that, to take the time required to prepare our hearts to spend some time with You. It's hard, Lord, because there's so much competing with our time and it all seems like it's stuff that needs to be done. We have to clean the house and cook supper and go to work and take care of all these things. Lord, but they take a second seat far back from spending time with You. Help us to be the kind of worshipers that worship during the week in our private worship and come here together and encourage each of us to engage in worship together. Because Lord, You are the one that is worthy. You are the one whose name alone, just the name, has so much power, so much grace, so much mercy, Lord. Thank You so much. I ask that You be with us now. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.